podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcast app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombe show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you're subscribed to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombe show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombe show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. The Combine is up and running, no pun intended, over in Indianapolis. Jim Nagy, ESPN draft analyst, is out in the thick of it and he's joining us very, very soon to get us up to speed on all the big stories that are breaking. We're going to chat to Ben Isaacs a little bit later on. He is going to round up top five running backs, receivers, and quarterbacks in the draft, tell you what kind of player they are, where he thinks they will land. So if you want a condensed, concise shot in the arm of what is going on in the offensive skill positions in the forthcoming draft, this is the right place, Ben, a little bit later on. And in between that sandwich, perfectly in between the ham and pickle, to, uh, actually, I won't even go on with that analogy. Tom Lugerbill, ESPN XFL broadcaster, of course, a regular on the show, gets us up to speed on another exciting weekend of football and looks ahead to what is going down this weekend. Talks about a couple of players that could well be NFL bound the way that they are playing. I'll ask you, Tom, whether he thinks that is a good or a bad thing that the XFL might be losing some of its top talent if a player performs well. They get an NFL gig. What does that mean for the XFL? Good thing, bad thing, somewhere in between. Tom will let us know what he thinks about that. At the NC Show, if you want to follow us on social media, lots of stuff flying out all week long. But let's get straight down to business with the excellent Jim Nagy. Jim, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. So you're out in Indianapolis for the Combine. Uh, straight off the bat, I'm intrigued by... One of your tweets on Twitter, uh, you announced that you're heading out to the combine. You said the first time in 23 years I've had to pack a suit. <laughs> Is that <laughs> 20, anywhere you've gone? That's the first time or the first time you've gone to Indy for the combine and had to pack no, a suit? No, it's, yeah, first time going to Indy to pack a suit. So, you know, <laughs> okay. I, I spent almost two decades in the NFL as a scout. So right. when you come out here as a scout, you're just packing, you know, jeans and sweatshirts and golf shirts and your team gear and, Right. Um, it's a little more of a, a little more of a casual event, but uh, now with the ESPN stuff, uh, you know, a, a certain tie is required. So it was a little, a little different packing experience for me this year. <laughs> Suited and booted. Let's use, as you've established, spent a, many years at the combine uh, in a different guise. First things first, I want to scene set for our listeners the the scale of the event. Really, behind the scenes, you've got whatever three hundred players working out, uh, hundreds of volunteers from all the teams. It's a jam-packed week, and there is a huge amount of very complex scheduling and organization that goes into it. Oh, it's uh, it's like it's not a three-ring circuit. It's, it's probably a 30-ring circuit. I, it, <laughs> the, Jeff Foster, who runs the event, does a phenomenal job. There are there's, 
there's so much going on behind the scenes that, you know, people, most people don't get to see. It's amazing. They pull this thing off. The, the city of Indianapolis does a great job with their, you know, with their medical, their hospital system here. That's, that's really the biggest function of this event for the NFL um, is the medical, the medical part of it. You know, I, I know everyone watches the TV for the workouts, but the NFL teams are really here to interview the players and get the medical stuff done uh, primarily. So yeah, they, they, there's so much going on and there's so much that goes into it. And, and really the scope and scale of this event, it's amazing, um, you know, over the last couple of decades to see this thing transform. And, and it really has to do with it being televised, you know, when the NFL network came in and started tele- televising this event, um, I, I shouldn't be in TV programming because I thought it was a terrible idea. I thought, you know, no one's going to sit and watch these workouts. You know, who's going to want to sit around TV and watch these guys run 40-yard dashes? And, uh, man, I couldn't, have been, I couldn't have been more wrong on that one. And the great thing that it had, you know, from an NFL perspective, and, and I was a group leader for seven years, and, uh, you know, a lot of these players didn't want to run their 40. They would wait till they went on campus to run their 40, mm-hmm. kind of bought themselves some more time for training. You used to have to beg these players to run. And then once the NFL Network showed up and put their cameras on them, um, you, had to, you didn't have to beg anymore. These guys wanted to line up and get their, their 15, uh, 15 minutes of fame. So it was, uh, <laughs> sure. it's, been, it's, been, it's been unbelievable to see the transformation of this thing. It is so right, the evolution of it, which is, is just testament to the – how shrewd the NFL is in terms of building this three, six, five year round uh, league in, in a sport where what there are, you know, 16 regular season games and, and the players and yet they managed to stay relevant all year round. It's incredible. Um, one of the things I noticed that was quite interesting, just in terms of the organizational side, which is, you know, as you suggested, given all the players, you got to cram all of this in the drills, the Wanderlick, the interviews, everything and the medicals in, in, in a week and, uh, all kinds of players uh, involved in that, but it's a, an extra layer that makes it really interesting this year, I think. NFL.com reported that 46 participants, or 46 of the players, have received requests uh, from teams this year to perform field drills at an additional position. So, I mean, that just kind of adds a, a whole new dimension to it, doesn't it? But it's interesting. That's quite a significant number, I thought. Yeah, it, it, it started years. I mean, it's been going on for a little while, but um, you're right. The number is definitely the definite. The number definitely spiked. So, you know, and the great thing, one, one great thing going on in the NFL right now is that uh, coaching staffs are a lot more open minded to, uh, you know, kind of tailoring what they do to a player's skill set. Right. And, and that sounds simple, right? Like they should have been doing that all along. But um, just working in a league for a long time, you know, in drafting players, I mean, I, I felt like. You know, a lot of times you're you're just trying to stick a player in your scheme and, and make them fit it. And and I think coaches are doing a much better job nowadays to, uh, you know, tailoring what they do to a player's skill set. And Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, Baltimore's quarterback MVP. I mean, he that's the ultimate that's that's the ultimate example of that. Um, but yeah, so, so just Taysom being, Hill as well, you know, emerging, you know, you know, players yeah. like Hill emerging. And, and and I guess they're you know the NFL is a copycat league to some degree, right? So you see players or teams having great success with players that they're using gadget style in, in different looks and and then they're thinking well, right well let's try and at least find somebody in our hall this time around that could could maybe fit the bill yeah there, there's no doubt there's no doubt about that there's you know be being finding more swiss army knives on on offense and defense uh Taysom hill's another great example and then defensively you know everyone's looking for the you know the, it's become more of a space game more of a matchup game over the years and uh Everyone's looking for, you know, undersized linebackers that can cover tight ends and running backs. And mm-hmm. 
so the game is really evolving. You know, it used to be where you're in base defense 70% of the time and you're playing lining up with three linebackers. But now, I mean, you barely, you barely ever see more than two linebackers on a field. It's everyone's in nickel and dime. So yeah, these extra workouts and, and, you know, having linebackers work out as safeties and vice versa um, and linebackers work out as DNs. I mean, it, it all, everyone's just trying to, to hone in on that versatility and, and potential versatility in a player. You know, some things do, do change, as you say, because of the way that the, the program is changing, but, but some things stay the same. And you mentioned the 40-yard dash, which uh, inevitably is, is one of the things that, that fans love to watch the most, of course, because it just makes for, makes for great TV. Al Davis, of course, always loved it back in the day. And would have, I, I'm sure, sure. What, if Al Davis was around, I think Henry Ruggs, would 100% be, be getting drafted by, by the Raiders. He's come out and said, the Alabama receiver, he's come out and said, he's looking to break the record for the fastest 40-yard dash, 4.29. John Ross, uh, the Bengals receiver, host, uh, holds that at the moment. Uh, Ruggs wants to, to, to beat that. I was chatting to, to Brandon Flowers uh, on uh, my radio show the other day, and he was talking about how his relatively bad 40 at the Combine really held him back. He said, you know, he was going into the combine as one of the, the highest ranked corners of most people's list. And he had a slow 40 and he dropped down, he felt, to the second round as a result. So it's quite high stakes, isn't it, for certain key positions, the 40. If you don't go well, it can really damage your draft stock. Yeah, it, it can, you know, and, and I was with Brandon and in, in, with the Chiefs in Kansas City. And oh, I right. remember him running his, yeah, I remember him running his 40. And I think what uh, – and players don't know this either. You know, it, it lowers their stock in terms of where the media has these players. But what, what we don't know is where the 32 teams have these guys. And, you know, just being on that other side for as long as I was. Um, and, then, and then, you know, you try to tune out the media stuff. You try to tune out – we used to call that the noise. You know, we didn't yeah. – you, you, you try not to let all that seep into your, into your evaluation. So we really didn't pay attention to it until – you know, we ended our process and it was interesting to turn on the TV around draft time and, and see the ticker and the rankings and see how much, how different the media had it than, than we had it. And, yeah. uh, so like, I don't know, I don't know if Brandon necessarily fell because I, I don't think speed, I don't think the NFL guys expected him to run really fast. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know how much he fell on the NFL team boards. He, he, he slipped a little bit to where the media had him, but, but no, back to your point, it's, it is, it's a, it's really high stakes. Um, you know, guys that run super fast like Ruggs, like Ruggs is going to do, um, he's only going to help himself. And I was there when Ruggs ran that 4-2-5 last spring. I was actually timing the 10-yard dash. And uh, the scary thing with Ruggs is I had a 1-5-3 on his 10-yard split. Huh. And that's not, that's not correlative to what a 4-2-5 what a should be, which tells me he didn't have a great start and right, still ran right. a 4-2-5. So if he, can, <laughs> if he can get that start down, he can, uh, yeah, he could certainly go after John Ross's 419 record. You're all eyes on that. So if, if speed is a really good point you make that what the media are telling us and concentrating on is, is often different perhaps to what front officers are looking at. What about hand size? Because every year this always comes up with quarterbacks and Joe Burrow had quite a lot of fun this time around with it. Of course, the, the expected number one overall pick. Um, his hands measuring in relatively small by quarterback standards, right? And so Burrow tweeted afterwards, uh, considering retirement after I was informed that the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands, please keep me in your thoughts. So, I mean, what? <laughs> how serious is this? I mean, because every year we hear it, that uh, quarterback size, hand, they're worried that front offices and teams are worried about his hand size. I mean, it, how serious a problem is it when your quarterback has got to this level where you're expected to get number one overall, you've done it all in college, 
can't seriously be holding anyone back, can it? Right. No. Here's a couple things I'll say to that is one, you know, they did the hand measurements for the quarterbacks on the, you know, the first day the guys were in town. So there's really nothing else for us to talk about. Right. So there's, yeah. you know, like other than <laughs> there, there weren't anything going, there wasn't anything going on in the field. I mean, and people, you know, it's because of Twitter and, and social media nowadays, like we all need something to, to fill that space and talk about. So, um, but all hand size is it's, it's just another measure. Um, for the NFL teams to go back and do more homework if they need to. So it's same thing with the Wonderlick. You know, you hear about guys getting a low score on the Wonderlick test, and it's just one more. You need to go back and, and you know, check your sources. Getting the, you know, how does this kid really learn? I can't tell you how many times that um, came up where a guy had a high Wonderlick score um, but really struggled learning football yeah, or exactly. in vice versa, a low, a low, a low Wonderlick score, and you go to the position coach and you go to the coordinator and they're like, oh, man, football makes sense to this kid. He totally yeah. gets it. We can move him around. He can learn different – so it's just it just makes you check yourself. So all they're going to do with, you know, Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow's hand size and, and Jake Fromm's hand size is just go, to, go back to the film and try to find some bad weather games and, uh, you know, see if he can control the ball and if it's an issue. Uh, and that's all it is. And, and, you know, I live down in Alabama, which is on the Gulf Coast in Mobile, and it's, so we're only a couple miles down the uh, Gulf Coast from Baton Rouge. And it is swampy down there. So it is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of sweat down there and there's a, there's a lot of humidity. And if hand size were an issue, I was at two of Joe's games this year where it was, you know, just sweltering hot. Mm-hmm. And if hand size were an issue, that ball would have been slipping out all over the place. Um, and it, and it, it didn't seem like to be an issue for me. Oh, okay. Good. Good to hear. As, as figured, I, I totally agree about the Wanderlick as well. That has always fascinated me. Let me ask you about some of the big stories that have come out this week. And um, we talk about media noise and us all needing stuff to talk about. And, you know, you mentioned at the top, the scale of the event now and the access to, uh, to coaches, to front office, personnel, GMs and, and, and players, of course, is, uh, only increasing and only getting, uh, you know, stronger and stronger year in, year out. And as a result, there's a lot of good copy that is getting filed and a lot of good quotes coming out. And there are a few stories and I guess people joining the dots based on what they're hearing, not altogether accurately. So let me run past a few of them and find out what you've heard on the ground, uh, in Indianapolis and see what you think. So let's start with Ron Rivera, um, who, of course, the Skins have the number two overall pick. Everything's an option right now for the Redskins, he said. And I guess we hear this a lot from coaches that they are towing this line. That look, we're looking at everything. We're looking at everything. And, but the moment he said that, it led a real media frenzy to the conclusion that Haskins could be one and done. Uh, so do you, do you think Washington is seriously thinking about drafting a quarterback? Um, well, if they're not, they still have to interview those guys because if they're going to trade out a number two, they got to make it at least seem like they have interest in a quarterback, right? So they're, right. they're just trying, if, if nothing else, they're trying to gain leverage. But, you know, Ron Rivera was in, in Carolina last year, and I, I, I'm sure that he sat in draft meetings with their staff, and, and they did a lot of work on Dwayne Haskins. So what we don't know is, is what Ron really feels about Dwayne Haskins. Mm-hmm. And, Again, if he's going to move forward, I'm sure that was part of the conversation when he took the job is, right. uh, you know, what are we going to do with the, at the quarterback position, the most important position on our team? Um, am I allowed to, to have flexibility there and make a move if I, if I see fit? I, that, I, I'm guessing that had to be part of the conversation with Dan Snyder. Um, so I, that, that part, we want, you know, you, we just don't know. Um, and I don't, I don't think they'd be very forthcoming about that anyway. I've got good friends with the Redskins. I wouldn't even, wouldn't even dare ask them. But, uh, <laughs> sure. but, but, but if any, but for, for nothing else, they're just trying to gain leverage. 
but that, that's is it, isn't it? That's a lot of smoke and mirrors that, that goes on, and nobody's going to really show their hand. Sure. Uh, well, actually, sure. I say that. Carolina have shown their hand. Matt Rule said, I absolutely want Cam here, and that seems to have quashed any suggestion that, that Cam Newton might be moving on. Although, having said that, do we take that at face value, or do we think, well, he's saying that right now, but they're still going to maybe see how he is in terms of fitness? And I hear I read suggestions that they might draft a quarterback anyway, even if they do run with Cam for next season. So it's difficult to work out uh, what's accurate and, and what's not. Bruce Arians was interesting, wasn't he? That he was. And I guess he's got to that stage. He's always interesting. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and he was, um, I mean, I think what's his quote to me like, you, as a head coach, you've got to decide, is there a better option? Which was hardly, uh, it's a totally fair point, of course, but it was hardly a, a ringing vote of confidence for, for Jameis Winston. And then he went on to name players he'd like to have as quarterbacks. And, you know, interestingly, both, I think he said Brady and Rivers, didn't he? Two, two veterans that could be available. So what do you make of that? Do you think Tampa, should move on from Winston because he was giving the ball up left, right, and center, but highly productive at the same time. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a tough one. But you know, now he's he's going into year five, and they're in that option year. And and to me, you you really at all positions, and especially quarterback, I feel like you, you kind of know what you have after at least after year three. And now he's through year four. Um, the only thing where I would you know in Jameis's corner on this one is that he was in his first year in the system with Bruce so um, you know guys usually it takes usually it takes at least half a season to get really comfortable with what you're doing um, so I'd probably evaluate more of Jameis's last eight games the last year and see how he was um, but that's that's a pivotal pivotal decision for them because again they're drafting in a position right now where they could they could get one of these guys that's a really good quarterback um, so it's you know that, that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be a tough one. They've been, they've been tied to Jameis and, and Jason Light, their GM. You know, he, he picked him out of Florida State, and he threw a lot of picks at Florida State. I scouted him when I was with the Seahawks at, at Florida State, and I like Jameis as a player, but he did. He, he turned the ball over, and uh, he's been doing that as a pro, and they're going to have to make a jump. You know, I mean, they're, they're, here you are going into year five, so it's, that's going to be a really pivotal decision for, for the Bucks and and I know that again, Bruce is Bruce came came to Tampa Bay and wants to win. So yeah. he feels like this is you know he, he's not the he's not uh, you know one of these thirty eight year old head coaches anymore. He's 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 on a shorter shorter term. So I know he wants to win. So that's going to be that's going to be interesting to see what they do in April. And this is the key, isn't it, to to kind of wrap this up the whole uh, moving part, all the moving parts really, both in terms of free agency, obviously the draft, and all those teams out there that don't have a sure thing as far as they're concerned as their quarterback, for whatever reason, new coaches coming in and wanted to go a different direction. Players like James Winston that have flattered to deceive during their pro career. There are lots of different things at play here. And so I guess it makes sense that the GMs and particularly coaches are, uh, are keeping or at least towing the public line that is keeping their options open because he might not know exactly what he wants to do at the moment until he knows what his options precisely are. No question. And, and, you know, I think everyone's on a shorter leash right now in the NFL than they've ever been, whether that's head coach, GM, um, you don't, you don't get, you, you know, you might get three years, you know, and, 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 right. and that's a, that's a really short window to get something done. And I, I just speak from experience. I was in Kansas city for four years, um, left New England, went to Kansas city. And, you know, we had our second year there, we had a big turnaround. We went from like four and 12 to 10 and six with Matt Castle as our quarterback and we felt pretty good if we built around Matt, you know, we could, we could win a lot of games with, with Matt uh, as our starter. And then, you know, things kind of fell apart the last two years 
and uh, we all lost our jobs and, and we never, we never addressed the quarterback position. So, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be in that situation either where, you know, you get a shot and you, you don't even, you know, you get a shot at a good job and then you don't even, you don't even take a shot on a, on a, on your quarterback, you know? Um, so that, that's what these teams are facing. Again, it's got to happen. It's got to happen quick. You know, there's just, there's such a lack of patience right now that, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault any of these teams that, you know, are kind of on the fence. So just taking that quarterback this year, cause I think there's, I think there's five QBs that are going to be at minimum five QBs that are going to be really good starters. Yeah. Right. It's a fascinating year, uh, both in terms of the draft free agency, uh, the off season, compelling and as we said at the top it's amazing how the nfl uh, managed to create this narrative but they've done it again and you're right in the thick of it so we'll let you get back to business jim thanks for dropping by and chatting to us really appreciate it no thanks for having me on guys really appreciate it lovely stuff from jim we will definitely be checking in with him very very soon let's move things swiftly along another weekend of jam-packed action in the xfl and hey time is just flying gang because this weekend, there are some fascinating matchups to help get you up to speed on how it's all going down and which players are starting to blaze a bit of a trail and make a real name for themselves, rebooting their careers, which is kind of the thing with the XFL in many players' cases. Some are getting a chance for the very first time at playing in the pros. Others are players that had a cup of coffee or maybe more in the NFL, didn't quite work out for them first time around, but could be fighting their way back into a gig. Let's check in with the brilliant Tom Luganville. Tom, hey, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Good to see you. Good to have you on. Now, the combine going on right now, of course, and we were chatting a bit earlier on to, to Jim Nagy about it. So first things first, where does the XFL fit into things in this day and age with a brand new pro league? I'm guessing each organization is looking pretty closely at what's going on this week. Well, it's interesting you ask that question because my counterpart on our broadcast, Diana Rossini, is a reporter on the NFL side for ESPN, and she's been at the Combine all week, and she sent a text to our group saying that's all anybody is talking about is the XFL, the access, the um, opportunity to create more player evaluations aside from just training camp. And I think here's what you've got to look at this from an NFL perspective is when NFL guys are starting or NFL teams are trying to sign free agents, you know, bringing guys off the street, not just NFL draft guys, but they're making free free agent market evaluations. Oftentimes it can be so difficult to do with a guy that attended training camp. Let's just say he made it to the last cut, but he only appeared in three preseason games and he played a total of 10 plays. All right. Well, they can get a little bit of information off of that and, and try and gather as much intel as possible. But now you take that same player that played 10 plays in the preseason and you put him in the XFL and now he's played 70 plays per game for 10 weeks. Mm. So it just creates a huge opportunity from a player evaluation standpoint for the NFL to, with no cost to them to have this player pool now available and for them to access right after the season's done. You've got the NFL draft, then you have mini camp. So it really just supplements their scouting efforts from the college to the pro side. If we take that a kind of a stage further and look at, uh, you know, players like, for example, Cam Phillips or, or PJ Walker, who are, sure. are lighting things up at the moment. Do you think it will be seen as a positive for the XFL if they go on to move quickly to an NFL roster? Or will it be seen as a negative because 
the top players or the top performing players anyway are going to get snaffled up pretty quickly by the NFL? Well, for the longevity of the XFL long term, I think it's a positive. Now you'll say, well, why is that? If some of the best players aren't going to be playing with their teams, how do those teams maintain viability? Well, it sends a message to the player that might be that fringe player on a 53-man NFL roster. Do I sign a future in the offseason or do I go play in the XFL? Because playing in the XFL may provide a better opportunity and more chances for me to get evaluated and seen and now maybe more opportunities with more teams are out there for me to sign with as opposed to what they were, let's just say, in December or January. So I, I think that it's only going to increase the caliber of player that the XFL will have access to because players will very quickly see I can either be sitting at home in an off-season program or I can be playing. So if a, hand, a handful of high-profile guys – and listen – this is, it's gotta be a quarterback driven league, right? You want to pursue the best possible quarterbacks. I think we got three, three or four that are, are pretty good in the league. Definitely three with Ta'amu, Cardell Jones, and, and of course, PJ Walker. Josh Johnson starting to come on in LA, although he's a bit older. I don't know if his NFL window is still open. I just don't see a downside to this. I think anybody that moves on helps send a message to, to the next crop of players that are making that decision on what they're going to do. Well, let's project forward on that then. So we're talking, you know, early 2021 or late, uh, yeah, end of the end of the 2020 college season. So sure. essentially the end of the year, right? And there is, forget the top, top prospects that are obviously uh, at least next year going to enter the NFL draft. But let's just say there is a player who has an agent who says, look, it's mm, you might sneak in a sixth round, late round pick, but realistically uh, you're going to bounce around training camp. It's going to be a bit of an ask to get onto a roster. You could get a practice squad deal. Do you think that a, a lot of these players, and I know it isn't necessarily as binary as an either-or decision, XFL, NFL, but do you think a lot mm-hmm. of these players and their and their agents are going to be saying, look, try and get into the XFL. Let's look at that as a trajectory. Because as you quite rightly said, there's nothing uh, nothing better than just getting reps and developing, as well as showing and, and having the tape to show NFL front offices, just having the experience and the reps to enhance yourself as a player. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the smart reps and the smart agents of the players that are out there representing these guys are going to present all options to their clients. And one of those options is going to be valuing playing versus sitting. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be a late round draft choice, so let's just say uh, I'll paint another picture for you. So in last year's NFL draft, there were 144 early declarations to the NFL draft, players foregoing their final year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. 49 of those 144 didn't even get drafted. So wow. that's some really good players, right? So now you're going to still have that in this draft, and you're going to have guys that have declared they shouldn't have, but they decided to. They either are sixth-round, seventh-round draft choices. Maybe they don't make the team. Maybe they don't get drafted at all. They're really good football players. Where do they go? Now there's an avenue for them. And I, I just think that that's going to create another player pool for the XFL to draw from right. that's going to have a couple of things that will benefit the XFL. Really good football players that have not only NFL aspirations but NFL talent, but maybe haven't matured to that point yet. And yeah. secondly, you're going to have significant name recognition. You're going to have guys at college uh, fans of college teams and their high-profile players are going to want to continue to follow and as opposed to last year where there was nowhere for that player to go, now there's a destination. 
That is a great point. A, a great point. One more on recruitment, and then we'll get into uh, the XFL specifically uh, in terms of the season and how it's playing out. Because pro recruitment is obviously everybody's main focus this week, and, and our listeners are primarily pro football fans. First and right. foremost, I mean, quite a lot of our of our listeners watch college as well to some degree. You keep a close eye on recruitment all across the board, right? And high school recruitment is a big thing sure. for you. So. Talk us through, uh, and our listeners through, that whole mechanic in more detail because they get how players end up in the pros. How do players end up at top colleges? Talk us through that whole process. Well, I guess you're, I guess you're right across the pond. You guys really don't have college football teams to root for. And right. so, you know, really recruiting has become the lifeblood of college football. We can talk X's and O's and coaching all we want. But the success of a healthy college football program is going to be based on its evaluation efforts and the recruitment of the player. So to kind of break it down and give you the numbers, there's 130 Division I football teams in the United States, 130 of them. Each one of those teams is going to have 85 scholarship players. Of that 130 teams and 85 scholarship players, in any given recruiting class, so this last recruiting cycle we just had is the 2020 recruiting class, kids graduating high school this spring or this winter of 2020. There is about 2,800, 2,800 kids roughly in in just the 2020 recruiting class that will have signed somewhere with those 130 teams. Mm -hmm. So now over the course of the next three to four to five years during their tenure within that program and based on their development and level of success is what's going to put them in a position to potentially be a draft-eligible player from the National Football League. So, you know, the recruiting process starts at about 15 years old when kids in high school over here are are sophomores. Maybe they're getting identified if they're really advanced talent-wise as freshmen, and they're going to get recruited through their sophomore, junior, and into their senior year prior to signing with with top-level programs. You're going to have probably out of that 2,800, roughly about 400 of those guys are going to be upper echelon elite level players, players that are not only capable of maybe playing right away when they enter college, but potential All-Americans, all-conference, high draft choices three years from that point. So, yeah, I get to see them from when they're babies all the way up to playing professional football. In fact, this past weekend, I ran into five or six different guys that came up to me on the sideline in Tampa Bay and were like, man, remember when I saw you at that camp when I was a junior in high school? (laughs) And here they are playing professional football. So two things. Number one, I'm getting really old, and the (laughs) players are still playing and pretty good at it. I love it. That must be so rewarding as well to see that evolution to see that trajectory. Great stuff. All right, well, let's get into uh, the weekend that was in, in the XFL and look ahead to, to this weekend coming up as well. We mentioned uh, PJ Walker and Cam Phillips, another big uh, game for Houston, who are quite clearly number one in, in everybody's power rankings right now, unless uh, unless they have got a screw loose. Are they both, yeah. in your estimation, the leaders in the MVP discussion as well, Walker and Phillips? Absolutely. And just the way those two guys are playing good football right now, the connection that they seem to have. I think June Jones and his offense is a perfect fit for what this league is. Spread you out, wide open, up-tempo. P.J. Walker's a dynamic quarterback, so things don't always have to be perfect for him within the pocket because he can create and extend plays. And here's the one thing that Houston is doing that other teams, based on the week, all right, and this happened to D.C. last week. 
Houston seems to want be the one team that is voiding the catastrophic mistake. Mm-hmm. They're avoiding the multiple turnover game. And you look at Tampa, their, their opponent this past week. Tampa went into that game 0-2. Why? Because they kept turning the ball over, and they kept allowing sacks on their quarterback. They go into the game versus Houston. You know what? When you don't turn the ball over, you're pretty much capable of competing with anybody in the league. And guess what? It goes into the final two minutes of the game. It's 34-27. Tampa's got the ball. They're driving. And what ends the game? They turn the ball over. That's what Houston seems to be avoiding. A lot of these teams are very evenly matched, Matt. But the teams that aren't turning the ball over are having a significant edge in terms of outcome. It is difficult for, for Tampa, isn't it? It's a really good point you make that they look so competitive against, as we've just established, that you know the best in show right now. But it's yeah. a pretty big hole they're in now. And, and where does that leave? I mean, where does that leave someone like Mark Tressman, who is amongst, I think, the more higher profile names to be associated with the XFL because of his time, you know, with the Bears and in the NFL and, and everything he's achieved in in Canadian football as well. I mean, is he going to be out of a job? I mean, are we going to see head coaching changes made during a season? What What do you think will happen there? I don't think we'll see that. You're right. It's a short season, 10 games. When you start 0-3, really, really deep hole. Watching Tampa going into the game, my counterpart, Greg McElroy, in the booth, both and I were just kind of talking, saying, oh, this isn't a bad football team. They just, they've had some self-inflicted wounds. They have good players. And then when you watch the game Saturday and they didn't commit self-inflicted wounds, they were right in line with Houston, step for step, boom, 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 boom. They were tit for tat going back and forth. But now they've not only do they have the issue of being 0-3, I think there's tremendous pressure on Mark Tressman because when he decided to sign Quentin Flowers, Quentin Flowers was a highly successful, very, very popular quarterback in, in the Tampa area for the University of South Florida. So there's been a, a tremendous amount of pressure for him to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And Mark Tressman and his staff have felt like they've been better off using a two-quarterback rotation because they haven't found just one guy that will just take the reins. And Aaron Murray's been injured. He started week one. They're hoping to get him back this coming week. And now they've got to deal with the news that Quentin Flowers had decided to step away from the team. I think if you read between the lines, it's probably because he's frustrated in terms of his role. So there's a lot of negativity kind of surrounding Tampa right now. But they've got a good core nucleus of players. I think they're well coached. But uh, they're in a hole. You're right. And I think a lot of it has to do with internal team dynamics of, you just got to get that one win. I mean, for example, take Los Angeles last week. Yeah, right. 0-2 going into the game. Nobody's even giving them a shot. All right, <laughs> they fire their defensive coordinator after week one. Well, guess what? They go out, they play really good football. DC shows up in LA after not having a road game and guess throws the ball to the other team. So LA takes advantage of it. Now you've got an LA team that's got confidence all of a sudden. Traveling to New York this coming Saturday right. to play a New York team that started off one and zero and has been reeling ever since. So it's just it just goes to show you if you just get that one win, which is what Tampa needs, maybe it can kind of help you, you know, get moving in, in the right direction. Yeah, so it's a great point. And the LA performance, as you say, nobody saw that coming. No. It wasn't they didn't just eke out a win. Thirty nine nine is as comprehensive as it has got right now in in the XFL season and. In New York, and I mean, as you said, another tough week for them. And if, I mean, forget two quarterbacks. They used three, didn't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> three different quarterbacks. Matt McGloin, uh was somebody we spoke a lot about last week. He saw some action. Um, but uh, 
their offense still misfiring again. And yeah. after that promising start, as you say, after their, the first weekend, and we all thought, I think Vegas had them as very, very early doors favorites after their yeah. week one performance. They're starting to look in trouble as well because it just seems quite fractious and quite dysfunctional in New York at the moment, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does. And you're right. You know, Matt McGloin started the game, was lightly ineffective, got banged up, left the game for a little while. He's nursing a rib injury. Then you bring in Marquise Williams, who is a really good athlete, kind of helps you move around a little bit, maybe create some plays, more of an RPO guy, the run pass option. And then late in the game, they get Luis Perez, who might actually end up being their best long-term option. I don't know if they're going to go that direction, but I just got the sense seeing that game that maybe that's the guy they end up turning to. Right now, they have injury issues in the offensive line. I think they've got team chemistry issues in the locker room. They, they, they don't have an identity. If you caught the broadcast on Sunday, Kevin Gilbride, the head coach, came up to one of his, one of his receivers and, and, and essentially said on Mike, I need you to become one of our leaders. Right now, we don't have a lot of leadership. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's going to have to change if New York wants to get back to some winning ways. Yeah, that was telling, wasn't it? A great point. Yeah. And again, just representative of how exciting and enticing the XFL broadcast side is picking that kind of stuff up in game. It's brilliant. Um, so you mentioned LA and New York playing this weekend. Houston, who as we established 3-0, and uh, the number one ranked team, I think, at everybody's power rankings, taking on the Dallas Renegades, so the te- Battle of Texas. And the Renegades looking yeah. good, 2-1. and That's a standout matchup this weekend, isn't it? I think it is. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The, the interesting part in that matchup is, you know, Landry Jones has looked really good at times for Dallas, and then he's looked really average at times for Dallas. But they've made plays in the second half of their last two games. That's been the difference between Dallas uh, as opposed to their week one loss to St. Louis. Is they've kind of outlasted their opponent and finished the game on a high note. So, now all of a sudden they go into this matchup. I think it's a fairly even matchup. Here's the thing I would look for in that game is the Hal Mummy air raid offense, which Landry Jones is running. It's not a high profile explosive offense. They're going to dink and dunk and throw little passes here and there. They want to run the football. Can they match the capability of Houston and those explosive plays that Houston seems to come up with? The 30 yard game, the 40 yard touchdown, the 50 yard touchdown where all of a sudden they jump out on you and you feel like maybe the pressure's on you to start uh, making some explosive plays yourself. So mm. as with anything in this league, and I'm, and I'm noticing it through three weeks, I don't think it's going to change. If Houston were to go out there this week and all of a sudden the turnover bug catches them, right? then they're going to get beat. If Dallas goes out this week and they turn over the football, they're going to have a hard time keeping pace with Houston. So I, I, that just seems to be the common theme right now because quarterback plays at such a premium. Great stuff. Looking forward. Is that the game you've got, by the way? Have you got the Houston? No, Dallas I actually have New York and LA. So New York will be the second time we've had them. Mm. Our crew hasn't had LA yet. So looking forward to seeing them. Enjoy that. We're looking forward to seeing you on uh, ESPN Player, of course, and uh, ESPN TV over here in the UK. Always a pleasure, Tom. Enjoy the weekend. and We'll catch up next week. Will do. Thank you. Lovely stuff from Jim. We will definitely be checking in with him very, very soon. Let's move things swiftly along and wrap up the show with our resident college expert, Ben Isaacs, who, of course, is keeping a very keen eye on what is going on at the Combine. Let's check in with Ben. Ben, how are you doing? 
I am fantastic. Psyched for the combine. I'm running forties around the house. I am <laughs> Bet bench, bench pressing everything. It's, it's a great time to be an NFL fan. You are Henry Ruggs speedy. Let me <laughs> tell you right now. Um, yeah. If you ever, ever heard a show when the presenter is welcomed on a guest said, how are you doing? And the presenter is, and the guest has said, absolutely actually i can't i can't say that word on a family show but you know what i mean if you know, uh, yeah i would i would be i would fake it till i make it even if i was just in the process of having my dog put down like i was there in the vet's office while it was happening i would just still, have to be on i'd have my game face on i'd always do, do that, that for you nats yeah you always do and that's what we love about you it is exciting time for you of course as uh, the combine is in full effect and as our resident college expert, we figured it made sense because we've talked a lot over the last 12 months about these prospects coming through. And now we're getting very close to things happening, things concluding, draft picks out of all these mock drafts flying around will eventually get locked in stone. Locked in stone? No, just take it. You know what I mean? Cemented that. I'll pick that up again, Harry, because that was far too round. <laughs> Yeah, we'd be I'm talking not, a lot. I thought I was waiting for you to carry on. I think like, <laughs> it was great. You, you, could, you could have dug it. Just dig, dig up, man. Dig up. Mate, put that in the, uh, we'd working out the, um, uh, the entry reel for the podcast awards. Put that in. <laughs> <laughs> we should put a blooper bit at the end. Um, okay. Ben, over the last 12 months, you have been getting us up to speed on some of the key prospects that will be appearing in the high rounds of the draft and even some sleep picks, of course, a little bit later on. And we're getting closer and closer, of course, and the combine uh, represents that and reminds us that uh, we are close to the final reckoning. So I thought it made sense today with the combine going on uh, to put things in some kind of order. And for you, for the benefit of our listeners that have caught some of your stuff that remember certain names, maybe don't watch a huge amount of college football and maybe rely on the highlight reel stuff and want to get some kind of context about who the big names are, what kind of players they are and where they may be going or where they should end up and what would be a good landing spot. So this week we'll look at the skill positions. So quarterback, receiver, uh, running backs with respect to uh, defensive players. So I know I hate that terminology. <laughs> don't they just. Offensive skill positions. Uh, so let's start with, let's start with the wide receivers. Let's go to the speedsters first. So you're going to rank him five to one. Give us an indication of the kind of player they are. Are they uh, strong in the slot? Are they a burner? Uh, what kind of player they remind you of, either past or present in the NFL, and then where you think a good landing spot would be for that player? Start with the receivers. You take it away. Okay. Well, I would say at number five is Justin Jefferson of LSU. He had a fantastic uh, semifinal against Oklahoma. He was, he was the star player um, along with Joe Burrow. He's a big play guy and he shines in big games. And that's something I love to see. And it's something NFL GMs love to see. Sometimes you'll, you'll see these players who will put up amazing numbers. And then in the big games, they'll get like five catches for 45 yards or something. Mm. This guy is not that guy. He raises his game. His roots are usually impeccable and he's quick with it too. He was Joe Burrow's number one weapon in a team of weapons and he reminds me mostly of Tyler Boyd. And I think he would be fantastic on the 49ers. And it, it could be that he is around when the 49ers pick late in that first round. Um, and I think he's most suited to playing in the slot for the 49ers, but he, he can, he can play all across. He could be an X guy, but I think he would do so much damage in the slot and be a fantastic outlet for Jimmy G. 
Nice. Okay, Jimmy G, I'm sure. I don't know. He listens to the show. Thrilled to hear that. Uh, what about your number four? <laughs> um, LaVisca Chanelt of Colorado. This guy's really interesting and he's had, he's had a difficult, he's a difficult upbringing. His, his father was killed in front of him when he was 10 in a car accident. He's had to go through so much. He was going to, he, he wanted to play basketball and he wanted to play basketball at high school and he was told he could only play if he cut, up, he cut off his dreadlocks and his dreadlocks were an important part of his identity and his connection to his father mm. went more towards football. He had a disappointing season, to be honest. He was outstanding in 2018, one of my favorite receivers to watch, but he had some niggling injuries and an, perhaps most importantly, an unreliable quarterback at Colorado in that last season. He's also had some surgery, but the guy can do basically everything he's a jack of all trades but his route running needs work but he just really knows how to get open even even with that shaky quarterback play he would be in the position to make plays mm. again i would say he would be ideally suited um to being in the slot initially although i think like jefferson he's a guy who can be that x guy and get up there I really struggle to find a good comparison for him. I'm not sure there is one player who is such an all-rounder like him. So the you're closest, allowed, if you want to build a sort of yeah well, accommodation, I, you're allowed to do that. Well, the, the closest the closest I thought of is a guy who I really enjoy watching, although he disappointed me a bit last season. But that's partly because of the system he was in, and that's Coradell Patterson, mm. who he's just is just a weapon, a little bit of a kind of um, a Swiss Army knife. Um, I think I think he could end up at the Eagles or Packers. The Packers tend not to use high draft picks on wide receivers, but I think they need something. The Eagles could really do with giving Wentz another weapon, especially if Olson Jeffrey is not around. And he'd be great on either roster. Mm. Nice. Okay. Uh, so that's our first two uh, in reverse order. What about three, two, and one? Rattle us through those. Number three, Henry Ruggs III of Alabama. God, he's fast. I can't wait to see his 40 in the combine. It could be a new record. He's someone who, when he's drafted, he's going to make an instant impact. I think he's got great hands and he'll scare a lot of defenses. One thing I'll say, if we're going to criticize him, is his catch radius seems to be smaller than it should be. But I think that's something you can get coached up on, so I'm not going to panic. Um, I like him as a combination of either kind of Marquise Brown and Deshaun Jackson. Wow, I, I know, I know, I know. And I, I love Henry Ruggs III, and he's not even the best receiver on his team. Um, <laughs> and I think I think the Cowboys or the Raiders would be the ideal fit. Got to be the Raiders. Al is looking on. He wants I know, to. I know. <laughs> Has to be the Raiders. Come on, do Gruden and Co. Mayock, do the right thing. All right. Make it happen. Number, uh, number two is C.D. Lamb of Oklahoma. He's a real wow receiver, made countless spectacular plays. Although the caveat is he played in the Big 12 where at some points defense is optional, but he's hard to tackle. He's just always open. I'd like to see him bulk up a bit because sometimes he just looks a little bit slight, but with some receivers, it's either not possible to really put on that weight or it soon becomes a negative. He could just do with being bigger. That's all. But he is absolutely outstanding. He's definitely my number two. And he reminds me of DeAndre Hopkins. And I think the Jets would be the place for him. I think he would love the limelight of the big city and they really need some offensive weapons to get that team moving because they are sluggish. Definitely 
the winner of the understatement of the podcast so far. Uh, ben Isaacs, congratulations. Uh, the Jets <laughs> definitely need something going on. And I know who you're, I know who your number one is. I think we all know who your number one is. I would think so. I wonder whether his draft stock enhanced, uh, even more so after Ollie Thornton, one of our producers who was, of course, out in Miami with us, uh, saw him on Radio Row and uh, got me to take a selfie, uh, uh, of Ollie with him. I'm guessing your number one is Jerry Judy, yeah. Alabama. Um, I've been banging on about him all through the series of the Nat Coombs show on ESPN. He has been perhaps my favorite college football player of the last 12 months. He's the most talented offensive player in the draft, potentially. His roots always look so crisp. Quarterbacks always, always know where he'll be. Then once he's caught, he just racks up the yak. He made, he made a few drops last year, which seemed to be down to kind of concentration rather than him being afraid of getting hit or anything like that. I think at certain points he was switching off when the season was kind of coming to a disappointing end mm. for Alabama. That's his main criticism. And I'm oh, very does confident. that mean he's got attitude problems? Oh, I, I do not <laughs> some, think. Some I do. hot take somewhere is saying <laughs> I, that. I would say perhaps his biggest weakness is his necklace that he's been rocking at the Combine. Which perhaps he needs to, he needs to get rid of that, that caused a lot of eyebrows to be raised as the star of David. And he was asked if he was Jewish. Mm. And he said, no, it's because my name's Jerry Judy and my nickname was Jew. And everyone's face yeah. kind of was like, ooh, And his PR guys just absolutely just cut the, cut the interview down. I'm yeah. actually, he is, yeah, so he's wearing this in the photo with Ollie. So it's the, Oh, it's uh, kind of, it's kind of his, his trademark. number on it as well, right? So it must yeah. be, it's like a sort of, yeah, customized piece yeah. of bling. Uh, yeah. what number is he? 34, is that right? Um, something for it, because the Star of David is covering the first number, but it's got the J. Yeah, it's, JJ4, no, it says, is that right? Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a strange decision, mm. um, for him to, for him to go with that. Yeah. Um, I don't think he meant any offense no. by it. No, no. Um, he was just kind of completely oblivious to, the fact that some people would think it'd be strange for somebody who isn't Jewish to be wearing the Star of David. Um, so yeah, he's got a little bit of negative PR about that, but he obviously that survive, I think. Yeah. Um, to me, he's the second coming of Odell Beckham Jr. Wow. Um, with the, with the catches that he can make with the fact you've always got to account for him. And I think, I think the Cardinals would be the place for him. And I think they could build a very exciting young, offense there that could get them into the playoffs sooner rather than later. God, that'd be amazing. Hooking him out there. I'm big on the Cardinals next season and uh, mm. adding a piece like him, uh, all the better for it. Right. Let's, uh, lovely stuff. Lovely start, Ben. Let's get on to, let's go running backs next. Your top five, same thing. Five through one. Okay. Number five, Zach Moss from Utah. He's certainly not the fastest guy on this list, but he's strong, can change direction easily. I like the way he breaks tackles. He got hurt last year in a few places. I mean, a few places on his body, not like a few different locations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it reminds me of Chris Carson of the Seahawks. And that to me is a good thing. I like him for the Texans, perhaps mm-hmm. in tandem with a veteran. I'm not sure he's going to be kind of a number one, a number one guy for someone next season, but the Texans, they don't seem to know what they want to do running back. We'll see how that shakes out, but he could be part of a kind of a very good running back by committee. Uh, number four, Cam Akers of Florida State. He played behind a bad offensive line last season on a team that has totally lost its identity and was one of the few bright spots. Again, he's a powerful guy, the sort of 
person that players do not enjoy tackling, and he's a decent pass catcher too. The nearest player I would think of was is Maurice Jones-Drew, maybe not quite as right. as good as that, but I think he would be a good fit for the Steelers. They've had um, obviously some turnover at running back. He could work with James Conner. He could potentially replace James Conner in a year or two. Big fan of Cam Akers. Number three, I've got a clear number three, Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. He is one of the best running backs college football has seen in recent decades, if I'm wow. honest. And he's only three on your, on your depth he's, chart. He's only three because he's been so productive. He's got a lot of wear on his tires. He's had more than 900 carries, often against Big Ten defenses that have just built to stop the run. I said about the Big 12, defense is optional. In the Big Ten, it is not like that, especially in the trenches. He's also a bit fumble prone, but he's racked up so many yards that even if he isn't like a 10-year player in the NFL, I think someone can get a really good four or five years out of him in his rookie contract. So he could end up being fantastic value for somebody. His 40 time is going to be studied. Um, if it's if it's high, it could really push him up some draft boards. Where do you think he's going to go? I mean, r- roughly. Oh, I mean, I'm... I would say late in the second round. Okay. Um, I think there's a good chance that n- there's the possibility that none of these running backs could get picked in the, in the first round. Mm. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Taylor, I think late second round, I could see him at the box, either complimenting or replacing Ronald Jones. I think you can, you can make him a workhorse, but it might be that he, he only ever gets his rookie contract. Um, number two, JK Dobbins of Ohio State. Um, again, superb in the playoffs. He's a tough runner. He'll work for the hard yards. He's decent at catching the ball, but he is well known for his poor pass protection. That is one of the first things people will always say about him. But I think he can learn that with the right coaches. He's an exciting guy to watch. I would liken him to Josh Jacobs, who I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. And I can see him being a good second round pick for the San Diego Chargers. Or the LA Chargers. So the LA Chargers, even they, who knows where they'll be. I, think, I can't work out who calls them San Diego deliberately every time or not. I just can't work it out. But uh, my, it's good enough for Carlson is good enough for us. Mine was pure mistake. I reckon with with Carlson, he's making a point. Oh, um, yeah, always is. Uh, number one is DeAndre Swift of Georgia. I love this guy's burst. He finds a way to get his second gear so quickly when he needs to. He's not that absolute burner. But he'll kind of, he'll, he'll see the hole and he'll hit that hole in the blink of an eye. Mm. He stands above the other guys on this list because he's such a good receiver out of the backfield. He's had a few injury problems as a lot of these receivers have had because they've been having such heavy workloads. So his combine evaluations will be crucial. Everything is going to be studied with him. As a comparison, at first I thought Marshall Falk and that's perhaps too flattering. So I'll say Clinton Portis. I would love to see him on the Bears. Um, as a pass catching running back, but they won't be drafting him. I could imagine him going to the Dolphins late nice. in the first round. Um, he's perhaps a second round talent, maybe first round is, but a lot of that's going to depend on the combine. But if the Dolphins can get him and a quarterback who we may mention in the next bit, <laughs> if they could get, if they could get him 
the Dolphins could be a team to watch. Love it. I can't believe I'm saying this. I love it. Oh, hey, there's no doubt in my mind we're going to be a team to watch. Whether we're going to be a particularly good watch or a bad watch is, <laughs> is anyone's guess. But things are, things are looking up, kiddo, as far as the Dolphins are concerned. And that, that fills me with confidence. He sounds like a nice, a nice fit. Lovely stuff. Right, let's get to the quarterbacks then. Uh, now, as far as our listeners are concerned, most of these names won't be a surprise. It's very interesting to see what order you have them in. And I guess mm-hmm. to, to qualify as well, the a good landing spot for the kind of player that they are and obviously situationally right now what is a good fit for uh, a quarterback whether they're going to start fairly quickly whether they're going to get the freedom to sit for a year and learn they're going to thrust in behind a terrible offensive line that means they're going to get David Carr stuffing knocked out of them all these kind of factors have got to come into play so five through one one more time with the quarterbacks in the 2020 draft then okay number five Jake Fromm of Georgia now, he is a game manager, right? But he is super, Oof. super efficient. The way you said that with this day. I th- it's a game I, manager. He's a game manager. I just want to kind of qualify that because I feel like I, when I talk about Jake Fromm and I say all his good points, someone will say, but he's a game manager. Yeah, he okay. is a game manager, but he's, he's one of the most efficient, calm players that you can ever have out there. He's, he's a winner. He's tough. He's gritty. He's got a good arm. It's not great. It's good. It'll fit in a, it'll fit in a West Coast offense. He's a little bit Andy Dalton, a little bit Josh Rose, and a little bit Alex <laughs> well, Smith. You're really selling him here. I you love know what? It. So, I, he's a game manager. He's, he's got a great arm. He's a good arm. He's not great. I mean, he'll, he'll be here. All those listeners out there now thinking, oh my God, please, please don't draft him. Please don't draft now, him. Now, I, years of mediocrity. I think if he, if he gets in the right landing spot, he will be able to thrive. Okay. And I think if he can be drafted by a team that's already got a starter, say the Saints, the Lions, mm-hmm. or the Steelers, he can be coached up. I I think I think he kind of plateaued a bit at Georgia, but I think he's got more talent and I think he will learn schemes very easily and become there's a lot of quarterbacks i would say are a game manager and i don't want it to be a criticism jimmy garoppolo yeah. is a game manager i am sorry but oh, that is the case i but don't, don't agree but well, we, I, we'll, we'll save this we, for another, another yeah, pod because I, that's a good off-season pod discussion to, to have we'll <laughs> look at i talk to harry the producer we'll try and get three or four voices all shouting at each other <laughs> who's a game manager what's elite maybe we should take quarterback definitions and break that down and say, I, okay. I think i think that's fantastic because i think we need i think the phrase game manager needs to be reclaimed yeah i, I think agree. it's become a negative rather than a positive and i'm only joshing I, with you but i, I agree no, I, I, I i don't dispute that at all i think it is it's a very fair point and you know i guess the, the most successful of all where it's been thrown in a slightly condescending or you know damning with faint praise way is Brady and, and the Patriots, right? You know, yeah. you've heard that a lot. You know, system quarterback here as well. He's a system quarterback. Mm. He's not, you can't improvise a system quarterback as are 99% of quarterbacks, right? So yeah. uh, I don't, I, I get where you're coming from. But at the same time, there were quite a few, <laughs> quite a few. Yeah, no, I, okay. I know. It's, 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 number five. it's because I like the guys ahead of him more. So number uh, four. enough. Nice. Number four, nice Jordan Love from Utah State. Now, this guy's got a really good arm, um, and he's got great touch. He's physically gifted. Also he, sounds like he should be a mid-90s wrestler. Uh, yeah. 
or I think a kind of mid-level uh, 90s R&B singer. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, he's a guy who's not a game manager because he makes some bad decisions and he stares down receivers. Game managers don't do this, mm. but Jordan Love will. Now, again, I think he can be coached up. He was also charged with drug possession, although it was dropped just a few weeks ago, so that's all gone. I I would compare him to Mitch Trubisky or Colin Kaepernick. And I think he he can be a little bit erratic, mm-hmm. but I think he would suit the Raiders. Gruden can get the best out of quarterbacks, and I think he would relish drafting a young quarterback, molding him into the into the player that he wants. Jo- Jordan Love is moldable. He is definitely think, shopping for a quarterback, isn't he? He really is. So he and doesn't fancy cars, so that is uh, interesting. Okay, so Jordan Love, you're a fan of. He's your number yes. four. Yeah, number num- three. Justin Herbert from Oregon. Now he is the prototype quarterback. He is big and strong, powerful arm, accurate. My, my biggest issue with him is he's kind of a quiet guy and that might not work for him in the NFL, but given time in the pocket, he can make almost every throw on the field. I, I watch him and I think you do so many things right. I just think he lacks the X factor that my top two have personally now my comparison for him is good ryan Tannehill. Mm. the ryan Tannehill who we would see flashes off at the dolphins and we've seen we've seen a lot Plenty of, of yeah of the yeah. titans and just because he's he's got this he's got this big body and he can make these great throws it's the sort of thing that if you were just designing a quarterback they would end up looking like justin herbert or they would look like ryan Tannehill. I think Justin Herbert would be a good fit for the Chargers. And I think he can have a really, really good career. He's just not anywhere near as exciting as the top two. It, as, as the quarterback position changes in the pros, it's really going to be fascinating, I think, to watch those slightly unreconstructed, older school, if you'll permit it, style quarterbacks coming through up against the, the certainly the top two and certainly the number two. I think you're going to going to get into next and, and and other quarterbacks of that type whether they're because of surface level perception they'll start to be underestimated underrated a little bit and actually still prove to be in the grand scheme of things pretty sensible and valuable picks so whether the stock will whether your stock will fall i guess is what i'm saying if you are a not particularly mobile strong tall pocket passer yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? How what was the dream kind of setup for a quarterback? People now look at it and be like, mm, "I'm not sure mm, about that." It's a bit bland. It's a bit. Yeah. Dumb, you know, for decades, that's what everybody wanted. Everybody wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your number two. My number two is the most talented quarterback of them all, and that's Tua Tagovailoa of Alabama. He is one of the best quarterback prospects in recent years. I perhaps haven't been as high on a quarterback prospect since. Andrew Luck. He is a phenomenal talent. He's aggressive with his throws. He always knows that he can do it all. He helped transform Bauer into an offensive powerhouse, which they were, they never were. It was never the plan. He's got this slight hitch in his throwing motion. And that always used to be the main concern, which kind of shows you how highly regarded he was. People would look at everything he did and said, I'm not totally convinced by the way his arm moves when he throws, but now it's all about the hip. He had a dislocated hip, which is an unusual injury in football there's going to be a lot of evaluations done on him the surgery apparently has gone perfectly 
He's not going to be throwing at the combine. He's not going to be throwing at Alabama's pro day, but he's got his own showcase scheduled for April the 9th. So pretty close to the draft. So there will be, he'll have a lot of interviews with teams this week. They will be keeping in touch with him all the way through and everybody will be there at that showcase on April the 9th to see how his body moves. Mm. Now, it's not like he's going to have players rushing him in his face. It will be set up to do anything that he wants to do. But it'll be interesting just to see how his body moves. And if he if he starts throwing some balls that look a little bit wobbly, all of a sudden people are going to be like, ooh, is that mm. hip still causing him problems? But right now, he is my number two quarterback. It's a bit like when Barca or Real Madrid sign a player like Martin Braithwaite recently, and they <laughs> meet the press and usually tens of thousands of fans in the stadium and, and have to juggle. And if they slightly blow the juggle, that's it. That's the, they're like, going to be a failure. He's done. And yeah. so two of that's it. We're going to overreact completely to a couple of what yeah. You may as well say April 9th is going to be National Overreaction Day. Looking forward to it. Your number one is, of course. Is, of course, Joe Burrow of LSU, the Heisman Trophy winner. He's just had one of the best seasons ever. Not just one of the best seasons by a quarterback ever, but one of the best seasons by a college football player ever. He went from being a potential draft pick to probably first overall in the space of a few months. It's an amazing turnaround. He showed very few flaws last season. Everything went right. But there's just this nagging fear that he could be a one season wonder. He was, he was okay the season before and was absolutely unreal last season. So I just, I, he's got to be the number one pick because of the fact that we don't know what we're getting with Tua. And there's no way that Justin Herbert is better than Tua or Joe Burrow. So it's got to be Joe Burrow at number one, but his arm strength isn't quote unquote elite. And we just, we haven't seen him put it together for multiple seasons, which we've seen with Tua Tonga Vailoa. My comparison is Jimmy G because Joe, in a way, Joe Burrow has been a game manager. He's just had incredible weapons around him. Mm. I think the Bengals are a good fit. Uh, Oh wait, I meant to say Tua Tonga Vailoa. I think he's going to be a dolphin. I, and I think that's the perfect fit for him. And Joe Burrow needs to be a Bengal. He needs to go home to Ohio. He needs to revel in the fact that he's first overall. Let's not, if I was him, I would not be trying to alienate Bengals fans before he even starts because rookie quarterbacks can have such a tough time. You want those, those fans to be on side the entire time. They don't want it. They, they don't want to see you potentially slagging them off before you even sign because then if you have any problems, they are not going to hesitate to boo you. He needs to be a Bengal. Have the team built around him, be that star, be the number one pick, be a star back in his home state of Ohio and prove to us all that last season was not a fluke. Interesting. I mean, it really is because I've heard some people say based on this incredible season that he's had, that he is a sure thing that has come out in the draft. The quarterback position is, is Andrew Luck and, you know, and equally you're, comparison is and i'm a jimmy g fan right it is fascinating because if we knew then what we know now would we say that jimmy g represents value as a number one overall pick and you know i know that's easy to be slightly reactionary and to apply recency bias to to what we've just seen in the super bowl people are a little bit down on jimmy g because he couldn't get it done 
in in the big game. But I wonder whether you know you said to Forty Nineers fans you would be waste or using wasting. Show my yeah. hand. You'd be using a number one overall pick on, on Jimmy Garoppolo. Would you be okay with that? And I suppose it is that sense that if you spend the number one overall pick, you really want a home run to the degree of Andrew Luck. And how realistic is that? You know, does a a number one overall pick and you're getting a top third quarterback that, as he's demonstrated last season, can get you to the Super Bowl. And if the shakes had gone down differently, potentially won it, then would that represent good value? And uh, I I mean, you you say about Andrew Luck, and like I said, I he... Um, in the last 10 years or so, he's, he's the guy who I thought that is the sure thing. And yeah. he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But he didn't get to a Super Bowl, did he? And it right. didn't take Jimmy G long to get to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so what we're know, concluding is Mitch Trubisky is going to get to a Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 Come on, man. That's what you, that's what you're going to do. I mean, maybe, maybe the XFL championship game. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I, I really, I mean, if, if Tua Tungavailoa did not get injured, then I think we'd be even if Joe Burrow had won the had won the Heisman Trophy, yeah. I think there'll be a lot of people saying Tua Tonga Vailoa should go number one overall. Um and in which case the Bengals will be rubbing their hands together. This might be the best thing that's happened to the Dolphins in decades. Now the Del- Dolphins missed out on Drew Brees twice. They could have drafted him and then didn't. And then when the Chargers were uh, looking to trade him, they had talks and then they pulled out. And Tua Tungapelo reminds me of Drew Brees as well. He could be the second coming of Drew Brees. So would you rather Jimmy Garoppolo or would you rather Drew Brees, but he's got potentially a dodgy hip? Mm. And that's that may yeah. be what teams are looking at. Joe Burrow feels like the safest choice. Yeah. But Tua Tungapelo, I think, is the better player. And Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert may have the may have the highest floor. Mm. So mm. his his lows are probably going to be higher than the lows that Tua and Joe Burrow face. It's always interesting with the quarterbacks and there is, there is no real science behind it. You just sometimes cannot tell. You just got to look at the film and there will be, there will be some things at the combine which will blow us away. But I, I always think the, the guy who has made the biggest roster overhaul that I can remember was Jimmy Johnson when he came to the Cowboys. They were the worst team in the NFL and he rebuilt them through the draft, right? Mm. And he had come from the University of Miami, the U, where they were the best team in college football. He he was drafting players that not only had he seen up close in college, but he'd often recruited. He knew these guys intimately. Yeah. He knew nobody nobody knew those players in college football better than he did because of mm. the way he'd done that job at Miami. And within three years he had drafted almost entirely, you know, gotten through the draft, turned the Cowboys into a team that would win three Super Bowls in four seasons. Yeah. The the evidence is there on the film, less so than at the Combine. Enjoy the Combine over the next few days because it is a lot of fun, but it does feel a lot more like entertainment. Whereas if you go, if you decide to, okay, I, I'm interested in some of these players. Let's say you decide you want to see more of Tua Tonga Vailoa and, um, and Jerry Judy, you know, go, go on to ESPN player and have a look at some of those Alabama games from early in the season and actually see these guys because you'll get a lot more from it than, than seeing the combine, basically. Do you know what I love about that, Ben? It was incredibly well said, and you got a brilliant plug for ESPN player at the end because you are, of course, as Matthew Berry would say, a company man. 
I don't know where I would be without ESPN Player. I will be absolutely <laughs> honest. Point. I could not have these conversations with you without the hundreds of hours of uh, of film that I can access through ESPN Player. We need to let you go and get onto ESPN Player and uh, watch more film and indeed watch as many uh, drills as you can at the Combine. I expect uh, a very thorough report on all of the players that you mentioned next time you're on in terms of how they played out. So, uh, Cracker Stuff Bed, really appreciate that as ever, man. And we will have you back very, very soon uh, to talk uh, more football uh, and uh, as we get set for the draft, of course, you'll be hearing a lot from Ben as the heat just can the heat hot up <laughs> as the Miami heat hots up <laughs> it's all about it's all about the dry heat of vegas that's yeah. the heat there we go two and oh oh and two is bad ben oh and two is bad don't forget it <laughs> um <It's>... great <laughs> great stuff man cracking work i'll see you soon Benny. great speak to you soon guys Lovely stuff. Many thanks to Ben. Many thanks to Tom. And of course, Jim Nagy kicking things off right at the top. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back same time, same place next week with all the breaking stories from the NFL and beyond. We'll see you then. Bye for now, Ben. Sports Social Podcast Network.